This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, is Tiger Woods' career over? Capitulation of the highest degree in Ahmedabad. Emphasis on pitch. Who in God's name are the monkey hangers? And we discuss some of the biggest snubs in the lead up to All-Star Weekend. Can't wait, let's get cracking. Right, Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, we've got a pretty jam-packed what caught your attention for me this week. I've got four things. Well, jeez. All right. So firstly, I was watching a segment with the age-old NBA GOAT debate on ESPN's First Thing First. Nick Wright actually made some really compelling arguments against MJ, which uh, was kind of caught me off guard at, at how easily it, you know, I agree with it. Yeah, far away. But what piqued my interest was a graphic showing the names of some of the superstars who won titles, quote, under MJ's watch. So Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Isaiah Thomas, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, David Robinson, and Tim Duncan. So a pretty decent list. Yep. And it sort of goes back to that whole, everyone's saying, oh, well, LeBron never won anything until he was part of a super team. And it's talking about how Jordan didn't win shit without Scottie Pippen, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it was quite well, Did anyone win shit without at least one other star? Well, Ever? No, not really, no. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it sort of it got into how LeBron gets a lot of shtick, I guess, but not winning more titles and how outside of those six years that MJ and the Bulls were dominant, their team wasn't amazing. So it's safe to say it's tough to win in the NBA. It is tough to win in any competition generally. Exactly. Yeah. So the second thing that caught my attention, Aussie Mark Pollock competing in the world championship cross-country skiathlon a few days ago in Oberstdorf, Germany in three degree temperatures in shorts and a fucking crop top. That too caught my attention and he is absolutely mad. Strayer! <laughs> What a fool. He's been called a brave Aussie maniac. That's a, a label about as complimentary as the outfit was sensible. <laughs> he finished 95th in the 10K final. He got lapped in the 15K, so he didn't do amazingly. No, but, not uh, sensationally, but he probably had frostbite. Probably did. Yeah. Thirdly, last night I went down to Coles to grab a few little bit, <laughs> yes. a few bits and pieces. Oh, I like this one. And I noticed a gentleman walking around. He would have been in his 70s, and he was wearing this retro mid-1980s Detroit Pistons jacket. And on the way out, I'm about five metres away from them. And I thought, you know what? Stuff it. Let's give him a compliment. So I yelled out, I love your jacket, mate. And he looked at me like I told him to fuck off. <laughs> so I pointed uh, at my own jacket and then to his and I was like, your jacket, what it's were you? awesome. You were I was just wearing a, just an old jacket. But oh. I just said, it's, it's awesome. And the penny finally dropped for him. And the wife actually said, oh, it's, it's a bit old, but hundred bucks and it's yours. <laughs> It's not a great sales technique, talking down the product and then inflating the price. <laughs> I, like, I would have maybe gone 50, uh, but not, not 100. Uh, so. No, that's great. And I've saved the best for last. <sighs> Don't judge me, but I was watching Holy Moly the other day. Uh, yeah, okay. Now, yeah. I, I noticed there were some retired sporting stars on there, Barry Hall, Matty Rogers, and the one and only Stephen Bradbury. Ah, uh, yes. Whose 19-year anniversary of winning gold has yeah, sort of... We've we, talked we about that. it a few times. Yep, yep. Well... He was up against a 72-year-old Denise Drysdale in a hole where if they don't get the ball through a certain spot, they get electrocuted. Now, it's a pretty dumb idea to start with. But, oh, bloody show. Well, I, I agree. But <laughs> after Bradbury missed his, Drysdale missed hers, and she was hit with a shock, and she decided she would chase this oversized squirrel that had delivered the shock to her and sort of put the thing on that thing's arm and say, right, you take a shock now. She's managed to trip over and break her shoulder in three places Meaning that Stephen Bradbury won. Come from behind again. Because his opposition <laughs> fell over. <laughs> you, you can't, can't ride make that it. shit up. You, or can you? 
Well, no, because you broke it. Yeah, because no. <laughs> you, you got in touch straight away and you speculated it might have been a bit of a WWE and you were just waiting for some music to come out and, you know, yeah, but, a bloke with some chairs or something. confirmed that she broke it in three yeah, spots. Okay, so yeah, you yeah. do not, you don't mess around Far with Far out, that. lightning struck three times for Stephen Bradbury. <sighs> Unbelievable. Yeah. And speaking of lightning, we're recording on a Wednesday because the power went out last night and we couldn't record last night. There's still lightning around now. Yeah, I know. We'll be lucky to finish. Good times. Yeah. So, Nath, what caught your attention? Well, what caught my attention? The Fremantle Dockers in the AFLW finally had a loss for the mm. first time in over, I think it was something ridiculous, like 715 days or something. It was, it's a long time. Yeah. And, of course, it happened to be the game that we finally went to. We've been really good in other years. This year, COVID, there's been all sorts of reasons why we haven't been able to get out there. We've watched a couple on telly. But, yeah, now we're kind of talking ourselves into it being uh, the the necessary before finals that had to happen. Copped a fair pantsy, didn't they? As so often happens, inaccuracy plagued them. And, uh, you know, it is something that they will have to worry about come finals time. But, uh, you know, plenty of intrigue as we head in that direction. And the big double derby this weekend, too. Go the Eagles. Go the Dockers. Go to hell. <laughs> uh, anyway, the other thing that caught my attention, Stewie, is that there is a new owner at the Atlanta Dream after, obviously, their players were none too happy with the previous one. The racist Given one. the, uh, yes, the opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement. So former player Renee Montgomery, who was actually two-time WNBA champion in 2015 and 17, sixth woman of the year in 2012, and also a WNBA All-Star in 2011. So... You know, good news. An upgrade, good, one would probably yeah. say. <laughs> a, lo- a log with mold on it would be an upgrade, to be fair. What did you miss, mate? Well, it's not so much what I missed, but what I will miss with Bruce McAvaney uh, stepping yes. away from the seven football coverage. Yes. I know a lot of people aren't massive fans of him, especially in recent years. I've always loved his calls. I mean, he's passionate. He's knowledgeable. He's super knowledgeable. Yes, he repeats himself a lot. He asks a lot of stupid rhetorical questions, doesn't he? <laughs> But anyone who hasn't called someone special or delicious is just not right in the head for me. Yeah. And he had his favourites too, of course, Kerry. The king is in the square. Ah, that's it. Yeah, he he did. But look, he'll keep doing the horse racing. Bit yawny for me. but Yeah, look, not our favourite. And he'll he'll do the Tokyo Olympics as well if they all go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. We'll we'll still have him. But do you reckon it's BT's turn? Uh, BT is always colour man. He can't be. You'd be wasting BT making him big banana. So you need so James Brayshaw, I think, is probably yeah, the obvious fair. the obvious one. I know that Hamish McLaughlin and Luke Darcy are in the mix. Okay. Luke Darcy did commentate a replay though during COVID. So that's a black mark against his name. Oh, a replay yeah. of a possession, and they, they were all very nice to him. They were, he was lucky not to be ripped into more. Yeah, sure. So for mine, I think probably Brayshaw and BT is okay. the dream couple, I think. Yeah, bring on the extra helpings of Lloyd <laughs> and Arazio Fantasia, which is not even how you pronounce it. But. No, no, no. But BT will definitely pick up the funny names. I don't know if Tim Lane is maybe a smoky, but I think he's in the in the cricket commentary. What about a smoky like Kelly Underwood? Yeah, why not? Yeah. She, I mean, she's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy with that. I'd be very, I'd be very happy with her. I'd be absolutely fine with that. Yeah. Okay. So we've got, a, we've got a good list. A yeah. cup runneth over. Yes, yes. But no, I think I think you'll agree. BT has to be the colour guy. You can't waste him in the play-by-play, I don't think. As long as he's there, that's the important Yes, indeed, yes. Because he is hilarious. He is hilarious. We do love BT. And I guess in the, in the AFL world, I might bring up just quickly that, that Bucks has finally come out with the racism saga at Collingwood and... And that was on the back of Andrew Cracker. And I'll read some quotes here. It needs to be said, racism, I believe, is a public health issue. It scars people. It changes people. It's not just words. It's systemic and it cuts deep. 
Enough is enough. We want equitable opportunities to be healthy and thrive. People should get it by now. We're just sick of it. And he was reportedly quite disappointed with the response to the Do Better report. But Bucks has come out and said, by me downplaying things, I was a part of systemic racism. So even if I wasn't saying the wrong thing, so so credit to him and and hopefully they're slowly but surely getting in the right direction. Well, just quickly going back to the Andrew Cracker thing, I read a, a horrific story about a, an incident where he was in the, cha- the, in the change rooms yeah. and yep. some of the, the other players dropped a, a, we a, won't even a horrible, entertain the yeah, phrase, a horrible yeah. racial slur and yep. then basically tried to justify it. it. Yeah. It's, yep. yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, and, and you can understand why a bloke would ask for a trade or seriously consider giving it away when oh, that yeah. shit happens. So he's right. It is a public health issue. Yep. It's a mental health issue. So what'd you miss, mate? Well, I missed day three of India and England <laughs> and day four <laughs> and day five. You almost wonder if it would have been better if they'd played the match on a giant piece of wheat bix rather than that pitch. But we will come to that. We, we will. We will come to that. And my only other thing, Shree, I've got a bit of homework from last week. No. So it wasn't Dennis Baseball, unfortunately, oh. to have two grand slams in the Major League Baseball. There's actually four blokes that have done it in their first at-bat, though. Bill Dougalby in 1898. Cool name. Great name. Jeremy Hamida in 05. Kevin Kuzmanov in 06. Daniel Nava in 2010. They all did it in their first at-bat, which is very impressive. The guy that did it twice in the same innings is Fernando Tardis in 1999, who, by the way, is the father of Fernando Tardis Jr., who recently signed, now brace yourself, a 14-year, $340 million contract. Yeah. Yeah. Why could I not play baseball? <laughs> uh now, just a quick special news roundup, Shui. Uh, some scary news in the golf world, really, isn't it? Yeah. Now, obviously, the, the massive news of the week would happen mere hours after we recorded last week. It always does. Always happens. 15-time major winner Tiger Woods rolled his car that he was driving on the way from a hotel in downtown LA to the filming of the second day of a documentary called Tiger Woods, My Game, where he's unfortunately rolled his Bentley four-wheel drive. They needed a Halligan tool, which is kind of like a crowbar, and an axe jaws to free. No, they well, originally originally they said jaws of life, but it was misquoted apparently. There has been speculation that it's a classic case of someone falling asleep at the yeah, wheel. Yeah, I saw that today. Which is just yeah. crazy. Yeah. Obviously terrible, but better than if it had been drink driving or drug driving or something like that, of course. Very true. Yeah. So it's yeah, reported that he's got a shattered ankle, multiple leg fractures, including a compound as well, which is obviously not great. Kind of begs the question, which I ask off the back of a comment from Rory McElroy that He's not Superman. Is there any way back to competitive golf for him, do you think? Well, and also the question that Tony Kornheiser asked on PTI, which I thought was a really good one, was, is it a matter of can he, but it's also a matter of will he? So it's almost a can he versus will he kind of discussion. I suspect that as a natural competitor, he'd like to get back if he can, but it's hard to tell until he's done his rehab, I think. See, the, the thing I, I find interesting about this, and as someone who plays a bit of golf, the amount of strength required in your entire body to be competitive is intense. The weight transfer for a golfer to generate the power is mostly through the legs and the hips yep. and the back as well, which you know, he's obviously had issues with. Well, and, and it's funny you say that because he literally was potentially had to pull out of his next event because of his back mere days before the crash. So, yep. yeah. So, yeah, he's basically going to need to be pretty much 100% healed before he can even pick up a club. That could be months, even years down the track. Yeah, it could be a whole year, potentially. Then he'll have to kind of slowly figure out his swing again, which is not going to be the same. We don't know if the metal rods in his legs are going to impact his swing. 
he might have to restructure it completely, which takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yep. But it also brings up another question. Are we spreading these celebrity sportsmen too thin? I might get you to clarify that, Shui. Do you mean because he was doing the documentary or? Yeah, like the amount of engagements that these guys are committing to is obscene at times. You, know, you, you kind of wonder whether the speed that he was driving at, that's probably a contributing factor. Well, no, but I actually if- read that it's lucky he wasn't going fast. If he was going fast, he probably would be dead. It, he was actually going at not too fast a speed. And the reason he broke his leg is because he hit the brakes really late or like the, the, the fractures were consistent with someone waking up in a jarring fashion and hitting the brakes really hard too late. Yeah. 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 So, so he probably wasn't going too fast, luckily. But even, even so, you know, if he's falling asleep, it tells you that heeah. he's not getting enough sleep. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, begs the question. Yeah. Are we, are we giving them too much to do? Well, I think it's a really interesting question, particularly in COVID times, and it's going to come up in the cricket as well with the English team. So I think it's a fair question. It is a fair question. I guess uh, we don't know. Did he commission the documentary for all we know? Maybe it was a decision. It's hard to know, you know, contractual obligations versus decisions made by the person themselves Mm. and all that sort of stuff. You just worry that these guys don't have enough time to properly rest and recuperate from things. And I honestly believe that was a a contributing factor. Oh, look, there's every possibility, definitely. The one positive, I guess, I did read a story about Ben Hogan, who won the 1950 US Open 16 months after a car crash that nearly killed him. He was actually hit head on by a Greyhound bus and broke his collarbone, pelvis, left ankle and a rib. Mm. It's said that if he didn't lean over to shield his wife, he would have been impaled by the bus's steering column, Wow, which is obviously pretty nasty. Yeah. Obviously, the, the big difference is, firstly, back then they were semi-professional. They weren't purely playing golf. Hogan was only 36. Woods is now 45. So it's hard to count him out, but it's also really hard to count him in. Oh, look, we can't make any assumptions, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, it'd probably be happy just to see him back. And it's been really interesting, the the kind of wave of all the young players talking about how important he was to their junior playing and indeed probably was the reason most of them picked up a club. Yep. So, yeah, the groundswell of support has been really quite heartening, hasn't it? Yep. Well, I mean, all you had to do is watch all the golfers that were, were wearing Tiger's traditional red shirt, exactly, black pants yeah. that, that he yep. wears on a on a Sunday. Yep. I mean, the other thing, I guess, to, to think about is the sheer magnitude of, of what he did for golf within the African-American Absolutely. community as well. Yeah, yeah. He opened doors. Absolutely. Big time. Big so, time. And speaking of PTI again, Wilbon said that his interest in golf increased when Tiger started playing. Absolutely. Which is, it makes sense. Yeah. And I, I, that's probably the case for a lot of people. Yeah, so obviously our fingers are firmly crossed and and hopefully his recovery is as good as it can be and he's back doing what he loves soon. Very quickly in the tennis world, Shui, Ashbarty stay atop the number one ranking could be short-lived. Yeah, look, the fallout for for Ash does continue, unfortunately. After she choked to Karolina Musheva in the Australian Open quarterfinals, she's lost to Daniel Collins of America in the Adelaide International. In under an hour. After being up a break of serving both sets as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, it's the first time in 13 months that Ash has lost consecutive games. She's now had to pull out of the Qatar Open with a leg injury. She's in doubt for Miami. I've heard a lot of people saying that Ash could be a one-and-done major winner. and probably it's, it's possible. It, it is. It is. Hopefully not, but it's possible. I've kind of been pondering this a little bit. I had a look at her run to the 2019 French Open title that she won. Because a lot of people were sort of saying even that kind of had an asterisk next to it. 
Ash came into that as the eight seed. Have a guess how many seeded players she beat along the way. Ah, uh, one or two. One. Yeah, there you go. Madison Keys. It was the fourteen seed. She avoided a fourth round matchup with Serena Williams. She was knocked out by Sophia Kinin, who was kind of up and coming at that stage. She avoided a semi final against Simona Halep. Unseeded Amanda Anisimova beat her in the quarters. Basically, what I'm saying is she beat one player of any real note. Even the final against Marquita Vondrasova was at a time. Now, I'll, I'll mention she is now a top 20 player. Mm. Really good player. And she, you can only play the people in front of you too, of, of course. Of course. It's through no fault of her own. Not not at all. But given what's happened since then, I think you make valid points. Exactly. And Vondrasova was, was 19 at the time. So yeah. the moment got to her. I think the big issue for Barty is the fact that there's so many powerful hitters in the game right now. And not just powerful hitters, but young, powerful hitters. So Naomi Osaka, who absolutely obliterated Serena Williams, you know, knocked her off the court on the way to winning the Australian Open a couple of weeks ago. She's obviously the, the, the top player in the game right now. There's no doubt about that. You've got Jennifer Brady. You've got Carolina Pliskova. These, these girls are very hard to break on serve. And the scary part of all of this is, as I mentioned before about the ages, of the current top 10 players, Petra Kvitova is the oldest. She's 30. Yeah. Everyone else is uh, like 20, As 24. I seem to say every time we bring it up, it's very much a young woman's sport. It, it is. Yeah. So you've got all of these young players who are dominating. There's some even younger ones like Coco Goff is only 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. has a, a really, really bright future. Bright yeah. future. Definitely, definitely. Um, Iga Swiatek, the French Open champions, she's 19. Yep. So you've got a lot of these teenagers coming through. I actually worry the only shot that Ash is going to have is the French Open where the ball's a little bit slower, gives her a little bit more time to play the ball. She's never got past the fourth round of the US Open or Wimbledon. She's had one semi-final and one quarter-final at the Australian Open. Like, I'm not 100% sold on her being a one and done, but it's going to be tough. Me neither. One thing she does have is a lot of heart and a lot of grit. So I think she'll hear all the criticisms and it will be impetus to really put her best foot forward. I hope so, because, yeah, she's uh, not in great form at the moment. Hey, if all else fails, she can just slide on a Richmond Tigers AFLW jersey and play for them. Or she could win at golf. Yeah. Or cricket. Go back to the Big Bash, WBBL. Or Kabaddi. <laughs> yeah, to get that or in. Or anything, really. Girl can play any sport. She's brilliant. Uh. So I have to start this Did You Know with a bit of a disclaimer. Take this one with a grain of salt. It is a crazy old tale. Not 100% confirmed, but... Oh, it's great for a laugh. It is great for a laugh. And we first found out about this at my girlfriend's birthday when one of her friends, a fellow Leeds United supporter, told us about it. And he had us in absolute stitches, didn't he? So shout out. I, I dare say we won't do this quite the justice that he did on that <laughs> night. Well, we're all uh, boosted up as, as well, of course. That no, night, we, but, we were. Uh, yeah. So did you know the tale of the monkey hangers? During the Napoleonic War in the early 19th century, a French boat sunk off the coast of Hartlepool in the northeast of England. Not long after, a monkey that had been on the boat as part of a travelling circus of sorts washed up on the shores dressed in a miniature military outfit. <laughs> Having never seen someone from France before, the town folk thought he was a French spy. <laughs> With a penchant for bananas. Exactly. A trial was run, but obviously the monkey was unable to answer any questions at all and was subsequently found guilty. And by the way, it wasn't uncommon for animals to be tried back then. Exactly. It was in my crim books when I studied. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So he was found guilty and hung in the town square. Absolutely nuts. But it gets crazy. Oh, it gets better. What does this have to do with sports, Chewy? The Hartlepool Football Club, that's what. <laughs> they currently reside in the English Third Division. They're affectionately known as the Monkey, monkey Hangers. Hangers. Yep. And they have a mascot named Hangus. 
<laughs> who is a, obviously a, a monkey, monkey with a with a French with a noose. <laughs> with a, Does he have well, a noose? Well, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. It gets even crazier though. In 2002, the man serving as the team mascot, a gentleman named Stuart Drummond, ran for mayor of Hartlepool as an independent candidate while dressed in the monkey suit as a bit of a publicity stunt for the team. He won. Of course he did. Of course he did. If Bodie McVoteface can win a competition, a monkey with a noose can win the mayorship. <laughs> what the mayorship? <laughs> the funniest uh. part about this was his laughable winning slogan, free bananas for school children. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And just like any Potassium. politician, he didn't follow through on that. <laughs> so he served his term. He actually remained as mayor of the town for 10 years oh, that's awesome. until the position was made redundant in 2012, making him the first and only elected mayor of the town. Wow. Wow. And well, I mean, if you can't bring the bananas into schools, mate, you should be made redundant. That's not well, good enough. Not exactly. good enough. <laughs> but I had to laugh because there was a couple of things before he even got into, into that position. In 2000, he was thrown out of an away game at Scunthorpe for simulating sex with a female steward. Jeez. And a year later was thrown out of a game at Blackpool for doing the same thing, but with a sex doll. <laughs> it, it was later claimed that he was drunk at the time. <laughs> oh, of course he was. You've got to love these lower divisions. So it's he was absolutely a drunkie. Great. And yeah, just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, you mentioned the noose before. The Hartlepool Rovers rugby sides logo is a monkey wearing a beret being hung from a post. Yikes. And Hartlepool RFC's neckties include a monkey kicking a rugby ball while suspended by the neck from a rope. Wow. This is still the case in 2021. Holy shit. Wow. They should always have the suicide prevention line on the logo along with the picture. Yeah. Fucking hell. There's actually, in, in Hartlepool, there's still actually a few monuments to that monkey as well. There's one of them that you can actually go and put money in, which is great. You know, it's doing, doing the Buy right bananas thing for the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I mean, what a... Good Lord. What a crazy story. It sure is. It so, sure is. yeah, if, if ever you find yourself in Northern England, make sure you get to Hartlepool. I've never wanted to go there so much in my life. And, and the, the funny thing, just to finish this off, originally it was this big deal that everyone that would go to opposing football games would, would yell out, you know, who hung the monkey, who hung the monkey, and it was this big thing that Hartlepool residents used to hate. But now they take it as with a sense of pride. It's this thing that they've kind of been known for for a while. It's it's why not reclaim the uh, wear it as a badge. Of, yeah, exactly, badge yeah. of honor. Yeah, for hanging a monkey. <laughs> Jeez. Oh dear. Uh, sport never ceases to deliver, does it? That's why we love it. Sorry, I left you hanging there. No. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shuey, we've got to talk about the elephant, or perhaps this week the monkey in the room, and that is. <laughs> And that is the third test between England and India and the slow demise of test cricket, if I can be so hyperbolic. Was it a test? I thought it was a one day. <laughs> well, there were less runs scored in that than the T20 between Australia and New Zealand on the same day. as day two. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Four day test, no? Well, 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 half of the Shield matches this season have ended in a draw. So if they've gone to five days... There'd be a lot fewer. So, or, so I still hate the four-day test. What if they? But geez, what if what they, the hell happened? But what if they're all played in Ahmedabad? Then? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm at a bad pitch. You oh, know? yeah, I made a bad pitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah. they did. Or maybe it was good for them. But we'll get to that. Well, look, let's we'll quickly sort of run over this. So, England 112 and 81 defeated by India 134 and none for 49 inside of two days of action in a match that lasted 140.2 overs. 
17 wickets on day two. The shortest match completed in terms of balls bowled since 1935. Where, where do you start? Well, I've got to say, at one stage, when those 17 wickets fell, it was in the space of 59 overs, or in other words, one every 21 balls. And it kind of seemed like one was going to happen even more frequently than that. It was oh, just... I was so looking forward to watching some at the pub on Friday night too. And it was all, all over. Uh, yep. I couldn't yep, believe yep, it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, where do we start? Probably before a ball's even bowled. It kind of goes back to the selection table. I've been to the ground in Ahmedabad and it takes a bit of pace, but I don't know, maybe they thought the pink ball was going to do a bit of Yeah, well, that that needs to be mentioned. It was a day-night test, so it was a little bit different. The pink ball does have a bit more lacquer on it, and so the conditions were a bit different. People aren't as seasoned as they might be in a non-COVID year. So there's a lot of factors at play here. And I will mention that the the match that I watched in Ahmedabad was a an ODI at the 2011 World Cup, Australia versus, Zim- versus Zimbabwe, yeah, it was a, yep. which was a day-nighter, but yeah, not quite the same, obviously. But yeah, the, the decision to bring one out-and-out spinner into that match by, by England is, it's laughable. I mean, you've got to look at these pitches and know that they're going to spin. Yeah, it's, yep. it's what India do well. The pitch looked funny, didn't it? It looked like a cigarette. There were orange bits at each end <laughs> and then really white in the middle. <laughs> well, it, was, it was weird. Well, it was yeah. just, just as bad for England as a cigarette anyway. Yeah, well, they might have preferred to have one. Yeah, yeah and it, it really makes the fact that Moen Ali went home even more of a big deal. Yes, out. yes. There's a few things at play here. So Moen Ali doesn't actually have a test contract with England anymore. So ah. he was rung in. And they have this rotation policy because they're playing so many tests. And they are playing a lot of tests in a short amount of time. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that that does play in. They sure would have liked him, though, because he's very good with the bat, too. Or, or on his day, he's very good with the bat. Yeah, I mean, look, it tells you how much of a spinning pitch it was that Joe Root had a fifer. Yes. The best figures by an English off-spinner of all time. There you go. It Was was it a five for eight? Five for eight, yeah. 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 So that tells you a lot about the pitch. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the thing is... People are going to whinge about the fact that, that it was, quote, a poor pitch. For the record, Michael Vaughan tweeted the pitch was shite. That was yes. literally a one-word tweet. Yes. Well, there's no consensus here. There's there's multiple schools of thought here. Well, that, that, this is the thing, though. Zach Crawley looked fine in the first innings. Well, he did. They had a couple of ducks at the top there. But you're right. Crawley had a had a half ton, and the things were going okay at the yep. beginning before it all turned to shit. Rohit Sharma looked really good in the first innings. I think he made 66. They, they basically showed that if you did play the ball on its merits, yep. you could make runs. And 21 of the 30 wickets were straight balls. Exactly. So it was turning a lot when it was going to turn. And there was a lot of dust puffs you know, all over the place, which would have been difficult for the batsmen too. Yep. But yeah, 21 straight balls. So a lot of a lot of bad shots, a lot, a lot of bad batting. A lot of ones going through the gate. I yep. watched the extended highlights. It was crazy. If you look at the, this is an example of how poorly they batted. Stuart Broad was caught behind off a reverse sweep. Caught yeah, behind yeah, reverse yeah, sweeping. Yeah, yeah. So he's basically just smashed it straight into, into the keeper's gloves. It's, yep. Ri- yep. it's ridiculous. Look, credit where credit's due. Axar Patel bowled out of his skin. He was always asking questions. He kind of used those subtle deviations to, to deceive the batsman. He's a bit chucky. I don't think he is a chucker, but his action looks a bit chucky. But how's this? He's taken at least five wickets in three of his last four innings in the series. So he is in fine He's form. He's in great form. Yeah. Absolutely yep. brilliant. And I will say this. I've stood up for Johnny Bairstow in the past, but we might have to call him Pairstow. Very two, nice. two ducks in the match. Yeah, it's not, it's not a common occurrence. Maybe Indian decks are not the right ones for him. Like He's obviously brewing at home. But, uh, yeah, maybe the subcontinent's not quite the, the right surface. Now, I do want to just go back to to Joe Root for a second and a, and a quote that he yeah, had up good one. Yeah. after the match. Yep. 
It's a real shame. It's a fantastic stadium. There's 60,000 people come to watch a brilliant, iconic test, and I feel for them. They've come to watch Virat Kohli face Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad or Jack Leach and watch Ashwin against our top batters like Ben Stokes. I, I almost feel like they've been robbed, that instead they've had to watch me take wickets, which shouldn't be the case. It's a, it's a good quote. It's oh, it is. Of... And, and it's, it's in Test Cricket's interest to go at least four days every match because of the money involved. Yeah. I mean, networks will stop buying the rights if you're not going to produce for five days. So it's obviously I was a bit tongue-in-cheek when I said the slow demise of Test Cricket at the top there, but it's a real concern. It really is. And players' ability to play spin in the modern game is a bit of a concern too. I mean, Australia, we've had our problems, but it looks like the Poms didn't do much better. And even the Indians don't play it as well as they did back a decade ago when they had Dravid and Lakshman and Tendulkar and Ganguly and all these guys, yeah. So I guess the question I have is, should the fact that the pitch is being rated as poor impact India at all in the WTC standings? Like, I'm all for home ground advantages, but if something's rated poor, does it sort of constitute a form of cheating of Well, sorts? hey, the only reason Australia's currently out of the top two in the Test Championship is because of being fined for slow overrates or, or docked points for slow overrates. So if you can be done for slow overrates, maybe you should be done for pitches. It's really interesting because some people, I know Kevin Peterson said it wasn't the pitcher's fault. It was just poor play from the players. Athers and Nasser Hussain were arguing on the Sky Sports Cricket Show this week about whether or not it was a good pitch. I thought Hussain made some really good points based on the ICC kind of rule book on pitches, right? So there's two key things here. One is there should be an even contest between bat and ball. Okay, we, we know what happened here. Hmm. And the other one, and this is the key one here, is that a pitch is deemed not satisfactory if spin is too important too early. And that was clearly the case here. Clearly. Hmm, first session of day one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might be a bit too early. Yeah. Well, yeah. the placement didn't even get a bowl in the second innings. They didn't need them. Well, that, that, was, that was something I did find very interesting that neither team bowled pace at all. Now, admittedly, India only batted for about 10 overs. So you would expect that Leach and Root were going to bowl all of that. But yeah, it, it, it's just, it's not a good look. And I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what I just asked that it is cheating because it's, I don't know if it is, but. Oh, it's kind of home field advantage, isn't it really? And, and you can almost guarantee a draw is enough to get him into the test championship. So you can almost guarantee now they'll set up a batsman's paradise. Yeah. Well, for the match that starts probably around when we upload this episode. Interestingly enough though, on the same pitch. Yes. So, yes, yep. so it will be very interesting to see if it's the same, the wheat bix as you mentioned. It yeah. just kind of <laughs> looked, yeah, looked like a, a horrible bit of outback dirt from, you know, from Mad Max or something. It was just, it was, <laughs> a, end, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't amazing. So I wanted to move on quickly to something that has kind of been the bane of my existence for quite a while. Uh, the, yes. the old DRS. Yes. I found it interesting how quickly some of the decisions came through from the TV umpire. Oh, it's been a lot of discussion about that third umpire. Oh, mate, Sham Shudin. Yeah. Not looking at all the angles. Yeah, like the decision when Ben Stokes felt like he'd caught Shudman Gill. And for the record, I, I did think he actually had grasped it. But to only see it from front on when a side-on might have given a little bit more information about whether the hands had gone under it, it just seemed crazy. It was like, are we short on time or something? Yeah, yeah. In a match that's going to go less than two days? Well, that's the thing. I think sometimes in the test arena, they feel like they should be rushing as much as they do in the T20 arena. And it's a different. It's almost a different game. It, it is, yeah. So absolutely, you've got to get them right. And there's things like the test championship too. So they can't, they can't muck these up. Yeah, I, I just, I definitely didn't feel like that was a good look. You know, when you've got multiple like there was one that Coley reviewed where the ball had bowled him 
And they didn't look at the stump cam on one of them too. And, you know, when you're worrying about things like the crease, the stump cam can be pretty important. There's, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. things I, I think that they did wrong. And, and just, just rushing it, it made no sense in that environment. Yes, indeed. Yeah, fair, fair enough if we're talking like 6 p.m. on the fifth day. Yeah. And it's well, in the balance. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, but even, even then. But even then, you probably take longer because you need to get it right. Kind of get it right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's, yeah, that was that was a little bit crazy. Just call drinks early if you have to while they're deliberating. Why? You know, yeah. like there, there are things if you're really worried about time. Yep. Speaking of DRS, did you see Shane Warne and the MCC World Cricket Committee? They've unanimously recommended getting rid of the umpire's call as part of DRS. How freaking good would that be? I would be, that would be welcomed from us. That's for sure. It really would be. Yeah. I, yep. Yeah. If there's one thing I hate more than the DRS in general, it is the umpire's call. How's this, Chewie? I heard on Cricket Etc. this week, um, Gideon Haig and what's the other bloke from the Australian? Peter Layla. Apparently, the reason India didn't want the DRS in the early days, and as we know, they were adamant against it for quite some time and they were really late to the party, was because they were worried about their players getting done for LB because they were so short. <laughs> what? That's like saying we don't want goaltends called because we have a lot of tall players who are athletic. In basketball. Wow. Like, that's not a valid ground for not having DRS. We don't want you to have DRS because you might make the right decision on LBs. That's about as valid a ground as the Sardar Patel Stadium in Ahmedabad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. A uh, couple of quick things also to come out of this. Ravi Ashwin became the fourth Indian bowler to pass 400 wickets, pipping Nathan Lyon at the post there. Well done, Ravi. The others were Anil Kumble, who had 619 in the end. Kapil Dev had 434. I believe he was the first to 400, actually. Back in the day. And Harbhajan Singh, who had 417 in the end when his career was all said and done. And the other interesting thing out of this was the tweet by Alexandra Hartley. Nice of England's boys to get this test match finished just before England's women play tonight, followed by four clapping hand emojis. That went down like a lead balloon. That It <laughs> really did, didn't it? And the blokes were like, we would never bask in a women's loss. So yeah. poor form. Well, it is. I mean, the, the amount that the men's game has done for the women's game. And, and look... Fair play to all the women that, that play this game internationally. They've done an amazing job of creating such a, a fantastic product to put out there. But yeah, the, the the men's team you would think would be supporting them all the way. And yeah, to do that is it's just really poor yeah, for the yeah. blokes are already embarrassed enough at the fact that they've oh yeah just yeah. had their pants pulled down. Yeah, probably right? one of the worst losses of their career. Yep. And to have that, it's yeah, it's not great. Not great. Not great. Not great. And now this week in sport history. March 3rd, 1920, the Montreal Canadiens score an NHL record 16 goals, beating the Quebec Bulldogs 16-3. Harry Cameron and Newsy Lalonde, gotta love those old-timey names, slotted four goals apiece in the thrashing. Teams have twice scored 15, Detroit in 1944 and Minnesota in 1981, but 16 still remains the record to this day. And on a side note, there was a team called the Toronto St. Patrick's. To be sure. <laughs> March the 4th, 1993, the first ever ESPY Awards are held in New York to honour excellence in sports performance, with Michael Jordan and Monica Seles winning Best Male and Female Athlete, respectively. Jordan was in the middle of the Bulls' three-peat. He was the reigning NBA MVP and had led the USA to gold at the Barcelona Olympics the previous year. Seles was the reigning Australian Open, French Open and US Open champion and had lost in the Wimbledon final the previous year, and she was the number one player in the world. Unfortunately for her, less than two months later, her career was derailed when she was stabbed at the Citizen Cup in Hamburg. Mm. Can you believe that Gunter Parch, I believe it's pronounced, the guy who stabbed her, was only given two years of probation for that? Wow, really? Absolute that, joke. That's one we're going to have to revisit. How you don't end up in jail for... And I'm surprised. I was surprised to see the ESPYs were that early too. 
I knew they'd been around a while, but that's a long time. Yep, 1993. Yeah. yeah. March 5th, 1973, the New York Yankee pitchers Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekic announced that they have swapped wives. Both families lived in New Jersey and got along really well off the field, evidently a little too well. And one night while they finished up at a party, they agreed to meet up after dinner with the wives driving in opposite cars to their husbands. This happened again multiple times before it was revealed that Peterson had fallen in love with Kekic's wife and vice versa. It was then agreed that the first unofficial episode of Wife Swap would take place and the wives took the kids with them to the other wives' house. Peterson and Kekic's old wife, Suzanne, are still married to this day. However, Kekish and Peterson's old wife, Marilyn, split not long after. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck actually planned to turn it into a movie called The Trade, but Kekish's anguish about it quashed it for now. And I'd actually heard about this. This is crazy, isn't it? It's remarkable. I just, you didn't even know where to start yeah, with this. Yeah, yeah. How? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. March the 6th, 1964, boxing legend Cassius Clay joins the Nation of Islam and changes his name to Muhammad Ali, calling his former title a slave name. He actually changed his name to Cassius X first, but later accepted the name Muhammad Ali. It actually wasn't uncommon. A prime example was Lou Alcindor becoming Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yep. But to Ali, it represented his transition to Islam, which was a huge part of his life. Some interesting facts about this, though. Oh, this is great. In 2016, it was revealed that Ali never actually legally changed his name. Yeah. So at the time of his passing, he was still legally Cassius Clay. Or was he? Yeah. The other thing is that his birth certificate actually had a typo on it. They spelled it U-I-S at the end instead of I-U-S. So technically, he was Cassius Clay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just a, a fascinating yeah, little, little wrinkle. Yeah. And then finally, March 8th, 1930, Babe Ruth signs a two-year contract for $160,000 with New York Yankee general manager Ed Barrow wrongly predicting no one will ever be paid more than Ruth. <laughs> I remember when we bought our first computer, the guy, called, the guy told Dad, you'll never need more than 100 megabytes hard drive space. <laughs> never make such claims, people. Okay. He'd obviously never heard of inflation, right? Or porn. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to put that into perspective, Alex Rodriguez made more than $450 million in his career. And I talked about that other massive contract at the top there too. With his highest earning season yielding 412 times more than the $80,000 a season that Roof had made off this contract. It's got to be said though, that was a massive contract for 1930. Oh, of course. Yeah. Even allowing for inflation, Roof's total career earning would be around the $15 million mark with 74 players currently earning $15 million in this MLB season alone. Ah, dear. <laughs> and they say money didn't ruin sport. <laughs> this week in sport history. So there's been some really crazy finishes lately, Stewie. The Suns and Hornets with the no foul call. The Nuggets and Wiz giving up a guaranteed two for a three and obviously missing. Memphis beating Houston by 49. But we've got to talk about some sacked coaches. So we have Ryan Saunders, who is, of course, the son of Flip. At the Timberwolves, he had a career record of 43 and 94, so maybe no surprise there. And then at Atlanta, Lloyd Pierce had already had a session with the team that day, had scheduled training, and the players found out via social media that he had got the arse. And indeed, Nate McMillan was so, I guess, um, loyal to him that he actually nearly didn't take it as the interim coach, but Pierce encouraged him to do so. So Nate McMillan sits in the chair of the Hawks now. There's a lot of murmurs around the fact that this won't really make any difference. They've still got a roster that's made up of guys that don't play defense. Now, Nate McMillan is notoriously a defensive-minded coach. And way more experienced. And a lot more experienced. Yeah. And, and potentially he will get some of the rotations a little bit sort of crisper. But 
Yeah, these sideways moves are sometimes a bit head-scratching, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. So I'm not really sure yeah, what this actually does for the Hawks. They'll probably still finish somewhere around the 9 or 10 seed. Yep. But you've also got to remember they've been without Bogdanovich for a lot of the season. Yes, most of the season. Danilo Gallinari's been yep. hideous up until up until now. You've had guys that, you know, Trey Young is a horrible defender. He's a, a screen door. And he's undersized, yeah. Yep. So guys are going at him. The Hawks were always going to be one of these teams that are fun on offense, but not going to stop much on, on defense. So, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what they'll get back to now that Bogdanovich is back from his injury. Uh, I think he played, it might have been his first game today. But uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really think this is a move that needed to be made right now. Yeah. But that's curious. And I, and I dare say Luke Walton's probably about the same way. He's, he's probably out the door. Yeah. As well, well that's your, there's a fair chance of that. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have to wonder if Tibbs is a coach of the year candidate. Oh, absolutely. But we'll, we'll come to that later in the absolutely. year as, as the year draws on. The Knicks are fourth. Yeah, I know. In the the East. Knicks. I know. I know. Yeah. Crazy. They're ahead of Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although Miami's starting to come good. Oh, There's a are. few teams starting to come good. Milwaukee's coming good a little bit. The Nuggets are coming good a little bit. And my Wizards, who are who was my smoky league pass team, are hopefully starting to make me look a little bit better than they did earlier in the oh, season. We'll talk about them in a minute as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's a fair bit of, of stuff to talk about. We're getting close to the trade deadline, which is always an exciting Indeed, part yeah, of any year. Yeah, yep. Unfortunately, there's not a whole heap of people who are selling at the moment. Everyone, Well, and often it fizzes out, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I dare say this might be one where there's one or two really big moves, but not a whole heap else. And a lot of the big moves have happened already anyway with the hardened trade and that sort of thing. True. So, yeah. So one of the big names that has come up is Kyle Lowry with Toronto. A lot of people linking him to Philadelphia. You have to wonder how they'll fit him in the cap. Yeah, well, you'd have to think it would be Danny Green, Tyrese Maxey. I know that Toronto do want a young player. Probably a first round pick. I mean, Danny Green's contract is quite big and it's expiring. So they may look at that and Toronto might say, right, we'll we'll take Danny Green back, seeing as he uh, he was yes, part of our indeed. championship yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, and a very good defender. So Philly gets a player who can help them win now. They don't necessarily lose too much for it. I mean, Danny Green's expiring and getting on a little bit. Max, he's a promising young scorer, but he hasn't got a really gift done to get. One. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. would you pull the trigger on that? <sighs> Lowry's notorious for fading in playoffs. I would think about that long and hard. I think the team as currently constituted could already win. So I would think long and hard about that. But look, I think he would make up for some of Simmons' deficiencies and Simmons would like playing with a guy like him. So yeah, I think it's one of those trades that would probably be good either way for Philly, actually. I suppose the one thing that could be said for that trade, though, is that the Sixers don't have a whole heap of playoff experience in terms of deep playoff runs. Yep. Danny Green obviously played on that Toronto team. Dwight Howard. Danny Green's played on a few championships. Well, he has played on, he has played on, <laughs> numerous. He has played on a few. You're right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Dwight Howard played on on the Lakers team last year. But aside from that, none of them have really got that deep into yeah, the playoffs. No, that's so fair. That's so fair. having someone to to run the point maybe allows Ben Simmons a little bit of freedom. He can obviously run the transition. Lowry runs the half court. I think that probably works quite well. You're right. I don't know whether you make that decision, but it's it's worth pondering definitely. Oh, yeah. It's definitely worth pondering. Now, heading across to Houston, DeMarcus Cousins has been pushed out the door. And as I say, they nearly lost by 50 the other day, so they're in a bit of strife. This is just a head-scratcher to me. Like, why do you need to let him go? I The only thing I can think is chemistry reasons. And he has always been a bit of a chemistry issue for teams that he's played for in the past. But yeah, I agree. When you've got a guy on such small money, that has to be the only reason you get rid of him, surely. Who do they have at centre? Well, yeah, I know. Chris, uh, they're, probably tanking. they're probably tanking. That, there's two good drafts ahead the next two years. 
That's all I can think. But that makes even less sense because their picks are... unless they land in the top four, Oklahoma City get their pick. Well, maybe that's why they're tanking hard. They, so, they could land in the top four. I mean, it's quite possible. But, yeah. But yeah, geez, it, it just makes no sense. They've got no center at all. Do you know what they do have? A fairly new owner who wants to make his stamp on things. Maybe mm. he's meddling a little too much. Yeah, it's quite possible. I, I, it's it's a weird one. But the whole the whole city of Houston has been snake bit by by sport dramas, so it's just par for the course at the moment over there. But it gets even worse because Victor Oladipo turned down a two year extension, so he's going to become an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. There's every possibility that he jumps ship or potentially even gets traded before that. Yeah, well, possibly. Yeah. So, well, they'd be wise to trade him for picks if they can. I think it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah, they should. They should. But geez, uh, what a what a cluster it is in Houston Indeed. right now. Yeah, yeah. Not, not yeah. great. Not, not to mention the horrible weather they're suffering and the blackouts and stuff. Well, not good times in yeah, Texas. It's probably worse than the 12 game losing streak that Houston's on at the moment. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of horrible stuff got a little bit of an update on Malik Beasley. Oh, yes. So we spoke in the preseason about him facing felony counts of threats of violence. He's pled guilty to that in court now in exchange for felony drug charges being dropped. Just not a not a great rap sheet no, for, no, for a guy in the NBA. He's going to serve 120 days in prison after the season's completed. I'm still... It seems just, it's ridiculous. a bit generous, doesn't it? Well, certainly the number of days, but also just the fact that they're waiting till the season is completed. If he was anyone else, anyone else in the world, he would be in jail right now. You would have to assume so. He, he would. He'd either be, well, they've had the sentencing. They've given him the number of days. They're not going to say, right, go off and do your job for another few months. Yeah, yeah. Let, yeah. let us know when you've got some time to hop in and do your... <laughs> uh, and he wouldn't talk uh, like that either, but... No. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. So, yeah. They'll he, probably even give him conjugals with Lars Pippen too. Well... You never know. <laughs> he's got enough money to, to bribe him. But uh, look, he's, he's also been suspended 12 games by the league, which works out well for Minnesota, who are probably going to end up jagging the number one pick again. Well, they need it. How rubbish they are. They need it. Speaking of the Wolves, did you know that D'Angelo Russell was sent to Minnesota on the 7th of February last year? He and Carl Anthony Towns have played five games together. Wow. I knew it wasn't much, and I knew he was sent there because they were mates. But oh, wow, yeah, that's crazy. They're two and three in those five yeah, games. Yeah, right, there you go. So Jeez. not great stuff happening in Minnesota. No. It continues to be a dumpster fire, unfortunately. Indeed. Anthony Edwards is starting to, to play some Had pretty decent ball. a massive dunk as well oh, the other day. Yeah. Dunk, that'll be dunk of the year for yeah, sure. And, well, it'll be hard to top. Head yeah. high to the ring. Yeah. Absolutely put the defender yeah. on his backside. So. Lovely. Now, we want to just quickly talk about a couple of teams. So the Boston Celtics have kind of had a, a bit of a free fall in recent times. They have Although two, they had a win today. They, they did beat the Clippers today. Yeah. And they had a, a, a very good win against the Washington Wizards, who we'll also talk about in a minute. But we're not really sure what the hell is happening in Boston right now. Like they, they were always going to be worse than last season. They lost Gordon Hayward for basically nothing. Now, yep. full credit to him. He has exceeded expectations in Charlotte, who... I think are only about half a game behind the Celtics at yeah. the time of recording. Yep, yep. Ennis Cantor was a big loss. Brad Wanamaker wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a huge player for them, but still important enough. Yeah, yeah. But no one saw them hovering around 534 games into the season. It's the Marcus Smart effect. Yeah, well, I was going to say, even yeah. even with Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart missing, well, Kemba's missed a lot too. Yeah, I mean, Kemba's made a class, but. But look at look at some of these losses. They lost to Sacramento. They've lost to Detroit twice. Ooh. They lost to Washington before they got on their hot streak. They've yep. lost to Atlanta twice. Yep. 
New York beat them by 30 in Boston. Well, New York are fourth seed. New York are very good, but... Yeah, I, yeah. Oh. yeah. No, before the season started, you did not anticipate a New York Knicks team would beat the Boston Celtics by 30 points at home. Even in New York, you yeah. wouldn't imagine that. No, no. So, obviously, we can look at the injuries as a, you know a factor. But with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they should be good enough to win against most of the Eastern Conference teams anyway. I think a lot of this comes down to the bench. And I know I, I, I tend to blame benches a lot for these things. Well, but... it's important. I mean, they have to play you know a decent amount of minutes. Well, if we go back to Ennis Cantor for a second, he's averaging 11 and 11 in Portland. He sits third in the league in offensive rebounding, which has always been a huge strength of his. He's shooting nearly 59% from the field. He's been good. Yeah. Like, say what you want about his defense. He gives it to you on the other end every night, though. He always gives it to you on the offensive end. Their bench is 26th in the league in scoring and assists, second last in bench field goals taken. They're not even getting opportunities. What I actually noticed, though, is that Stevens has started to shrink the bench. So they've usually... Smaller rotations. Yeah, usually they do it in the, in the, the in playoffs. The finals, yeah, yep, but yep. they started running eight, nine players. So a lot of these other guys are not going to get minutes. And, and mm. I think that might actually be the key to them getting back into the, into a, some sort of winning. Well, with the All-Star break coming up too, they obviously have a little bit of time off. So he can afford to do that heading into the All-Star break. Yeah. True. So we got to put our necks out on the line every now and then. And I picked the Wizards as a sneaky league pass team. And initially that looked really bad, but it's starting to look a bit better. A it, lot of buzz about them. There, there is, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a shame they weren't the Hornets. Well, you know. The, yeah, unintentional <laughs> puns, yeah. But no, look, even with losses against the Celtics yesterday and the Grizzlies today, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. And the Grizz are a good team. The Grizz are a good team, yeah. yeah. Only Brooklyn, Phoenix and Dallas, who, by the way, Dallas... Phoenix, second seed. Yeah, but Dallas have finally woken up as yeah, well. Yeah, well, they have, they have. You yeah. know, it's nice to see some of these teams making move, but, but only those three teams actually have a better record in that 10-game stretch than what the Wizards do. And considering where they started from, that's that's huge. What is concerning, though, in the last 11 games that Bradley Beal has scored 40 or more, the Wizards are 0-11. That's incredible. Yeah, that's it, that's remarkable. It boggles the it mind. It really does, yeah. But, like, what are their options? Like, what else can you do? Yep. If you look down the stretch of that Celtics game that they lost the other day, Beal hits a three to put them up eight with two minutes 40 left in the game. The next possessions are as follows. Westbrook turnover. Bertans miss three. Lopez scores a layup off an assist from Beal. Beal scores. Westbrook misses a three. Beal turnover. And I have to say, I think he might have been tripped on that. So that's okay. I don't think that's his fault. And then last play of the game, Beal gets double teamed and eventually has to force up a 20-footer because he can't even get a pass off. He's got no options. Bertans is great when he's on fire. Westbrook has decent games here and there. Hashimura... Up and down. Well, he's still young. Yeah. Like, who else does he pass yeah, to? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, it's been like this for a few seasons, hasn't it, it's, really? It's tough. Yeah, with John Wall injured a lot too. It, like, yeah, yep. It's actually amazing that they're winning as many games as they are, and it, it shows you just how damn good Bradley Beal is. Yeah, yep, yep. It really does. Definitely. Better than Levine. Well, yes. I've got a bold prediction for you here. Oh, goody. Okay. So Russell Westbrook still needs 26 triple doubles to pass Oscar Robertson. I don't think he gets there. Wow. Wow. I don't think he gets there. Wow. He's got a lot of career left, Stuart. He's 30, a lot. He's 32. Yeah, but... He's not as explosive as he that's used to true. be. That's true. That's true. So the rebounds are a lot tougher than yeah, they used to yeah. be. Yeah, okay. I know we like a bold prediction. He's playing on the Wizards who 
can't unless they're Bradley Bill, they can't shoot a lick basically. So I I, I think he's going to struggle to get there. Decent. I really do. I like it. I like it. He'll probably prove me wrong and get it this season. Yeah, but, well, but, well uh, I thought that's initially what I thought you were going to say that he was going to get it this season. No, nah, no, nah, but I'm, yeah, okay. I don't know if there's even enough games. There probably is. But. Yeah, I'm not convinced he gets there. Yeah, okay. I like it. I like it. So we wanted to finish off the NBA this week with the All-Star snubs. Now, the reserves have been announced for the All-Star teams with the game being played in the next few days. Yep. This was probably one of the hardest years for picking an All-Star team. And there's always good players to miss out every year. Every single year. Yep. And you might be asking, why does it matter? It's just an exhibition game. And to that I say, you should have listened because Shui's brought this up before. I have. <laughs> A lot of these guys have clauses in their contracts triggered by making yeah. the All-Star team. Yep. For example... Jalen Brown will receive $1.3 million as a bonus for being selected. DeMantis Sabonis will make a $1 million Sabonis. Now, I'm not sure if he does because he's an injury replacement, but he should do. Oh, no, he would. And he would have been a snub. And, and funnily enough, the, the couple of the snubs snuck in on injury replacement. They yeah. did. Yeah. Julius Randle makes $945K. Pretty decent. Yeah, well. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So I guess who are some of the snubs that you can... Well, the obvious ones were Devin Booker in the West and Sabonis in the East. Now, Booker's come in for Anthony Davis in the West. And then Sabonis came in for Kevin Durant, obviously, in the East. That's fair enough. Definitely fair, yeah. But yeah, there are a couple of others. Miami, both Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler aren't in the team. Now, maybe they shouldn't be because Jimmy's missed some games. Miami were looking a bit shaky, although they've started to come good lately. They're the five seed now. Yeah, well, okay, there you go. Yeah, so... There's so many teams bunched up around 500, aren't they? Do you know, I actually just quickly to make a point on that. From fourth place Knicks down to the 12th place, which I believe is the Bulls, somewhere around there, it's about two and a half games. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. yeah. So that playing tournament becomes even more important, doesn't it, potentially? It really but, does. Um, you know, DeRozan at the Spurs has had another really good season with Aldridge missing a lot as well, although he's being phased out, clearly. Um, Why? Because he had a DNP stomach bug today. Oh, but I, I, <laughs> he's coming off the bench from now on, I think. And and I I don't think we'll trade him because I don't think there'll be takers, but I, I, he will not be in a Spurs uniform next season. Interesting. Definitely not. Definitely not. Unless he plays for veterans minimum, which he won't. He'll be back in Portland next year. I guarantee that. That'd be cool. Guarantee. That guarantee. would be cool. Well, I just want to quickly piggyback off a couple of those you mentioned. So DeMarcus Sabonis, he was actually set to be the first player in NBA history to average 20, 10, and 5 and not make an all-star team. Yeah, right. Injury replacement saved the day. It really yeah, did. Yeah, it did. yeah. That, that was the most glaring one to me until the injury replacement. I think Devin Booker was Devin Booker's right up there as worse. well. Phoenix in second seat, as I say. He's Chris at, Middleton in Milwaukee is another one, potentially. Yeah, Middleton 21-6 and 6 at a yep. shade under 50-40-90. Yep. And Milwaukee, are, yeah, that's right. They're now I, would, I would have him over Levine, Vucevic, and Ben Simmons as well. Yeah, I think, well, I think context matters. So Philly are number one seed. Simmons is excellent defensively. So it's not just stats, I guess. Yeah. It's a bit of eye test and context there too. I still, yeah. I, I oh, would, look, you could make a case. I would still have Middleton over Simmons. Yeah, personally. you could make a strong but, case. You could make a strong that's, case. That's, but obviously that's up to the coaches. Yeah. I do agree with you on DeRozan. He should actually feel unlucky. He's averaging more than 20 points and seven assists a game on, on a Spurs team that has well and truly overachieved this season considering. They're the sixth seed in a really tough Western Conference. Lamarcus Aldridge has missed nine games, as you mentioned. There's well, we've had a lot of Derek White's missed a lot of time. We have lost some games. You've to been injury. absolutely killed by COVID as well. In a, yeah, in recently. Yeah, as well. yeah so, killed Johnson. Yep, yep. I mean, Mike Conley's another one who Mike Conley. He, he's probably in the we same. We talked about him recently. Yeah, yeah. He'll be in the same bucket, I guess, as Simmons, where his numbers maybe don't tell all the story. 
So, but yeah. his advanced metrics are the best in the league. Exactly. His, so his, it all depends on what your criteria is, doesn't it? A hundred percent, it does. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we're probably in a, in agreement about Booker and Sabonis being huge snubs. But yeah, I think Middleton's probably the the other one for me, and and I, I think DeRozan for you potentially. So. Oh look, I don't want to be too much of a homer, but but I, look, I can totally understand now why the Toronto fans loved him. He is an absolute professional. Plays hard. I'm a big fan. I hope we keep him. Just wanted to leave you with a couple of stats this week. We didn't mention a couple from the previous week. 50.17 rebound, five assists, three block game from Joel Embiid against the Bulls. Just yeah, MVP s- candidate, well and truly. Embiid P. Ah, very nice. Just the second guy to have at least 50 and 15 in less than 35 minutes. Carl Malone, the other, in a game. Mm. On pace to become the first guy with 30, 10, and 3 since Bob McAdoo in 75, 76. Mm. And that same night, Jamal Murray dropped 50 on 84% shooting, the equal highest field goal percentage in a game where someone scored 50 with Will Chamberlain. First player to ever score 50 without taking a single free throw in the game. Yes, I saw that. Wish I saw the game. And then the other one, Buddy healed fastest to a thousand three pointers. Yeah, quicker than Steph Curry. I yeah, was very but it's a modern that. game, you know. It's the nature of the beast. Those those records are going to keep being broken. The three point records. All right, sure, you know what that music means. What are you at for? Well, it's got to be the community series in the AFL. This is a make or break season for a lot of teams out there. Even though it's only preseason, which I know you love, <laughs> I'm out to get it back on the screens. In the NBA, I mean, we've got the All-Star Weekend coming up, as we've just spoken about. I'm pretty keen to see who shows out in the dunk comp. Obi Toppin! And I suppose the game itself. How about yourself? Well, the three-point shootout I always love watching too, so I look forward to that. Uh, Curry and Booker in that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good field. It's a very strong field. For me, for me, it's seeing how the Wildcats go in the NBL Cup. Three games in five days, including today, to watch after this. But until next week, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex. Sportplex.